You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and joining me for our now 7th annual G-Day Overreaction episode is my longtime co-host Curtis, and yes, you heard that correctly, we are going heavy with the overreactions today because that's what we do with spring games, guys. Let's be real. That's what we do. And by we, I'm talking about all of us in the fan base, not just Curtis and I. As fans, this is what we do. You know, Like I said in the G-Day preview episode last week, the reality is G-Day is just one small snapshot of the 15 practices that make up spring drills, but it's the one small snapshot that we get. It is the one ever so small glance that we get at this team between January and September. So, of course, we latch onto it. We draw conclusions and just generally go wild with the overreactions. Now, those of you who have been with us for a while, you've been listening to the podcast for a couple of years, you know this is not usually a hot take heavy podcast. That's just not really what we do. We try to be more deliberate in our takes and, and back them up with hard evidence, not saying that's a better way to go about it. That's just kind of how I've always worked, and that's the way we operate on this podcast. But, I mean, this is the only on-the-field insight that we get into the team over a nine-month span. That's a long time. So we'll allow ourselves one, one a year. This is the one episode each year that we do allow ourselves to channel the reactionary inner fanatic inside all of us and just lean fully into the overreactions. So fair warning here at the outset, these are going to be overreactions. Admittedly so. We are fully aware of that. And for this one episode, we're going to just have some fun with it. We're going to embrace it. So with that in mind, just take everything that we say on here today for what it's worth. Fair warning. Just want to put that out there. But okay, Curtis, I want to bring you in here, man. Let's start big picture. Let's start big picture and narrow our focus as we go. So, Kurt, let's just start here, man. What was your biggest takeaway from Saturday's G-Day scrimmage? I think the biggest takeaways you got to see, I think I think offensively we look dangerous. Um, everyone seems like they've taken the next step, and I don't know if we're going to miss a beat as much offensively. And then defensively, I don't think, I don't think the, the step back is going to be as severe as what people keep claiming it to be. 
All right, what makes you say that on defense? I'm not going to lie. I came away slightly, at least slightly concerned about where we are defensively right now. I know we have a lot of time to get better, and we have a lot of new get, new, new faces, all of that. I get that. But I did walk away like, oh, okay, uh, we're going to have to score more points this year. Well, I think that was a no-brainer, but I think everyone was expecting us defensively to take like drastic steps back. I never thought it'd be that severe. I thought the defensive line was pleasantly encouraging. I was actually most discouraged and worried about the inside linebacker play than I was anywhere else. And we certainly weren't fully healthy there, so you got to factor that into the situation as well. Yeah, look, defensively, when I say concerned, what I mean is like, Oh my God, we not we might not be the best teams in the country. We might be like the third best teams in the country. You know what I mean? It's like it's all relative here. It's shades of of dominance. We're still going to be a very good defense. I have zero concern about that. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, as long as we have Kirby Smart as our head coach, you got Will Muschamp, Glenn Schumann, Trey Scott. I mean, we have a hell of a defensive brain trust. We have as much talent as anyone in the country on defense. Might not be as experienced, but. I mean, maybe you can say Alabama has more experienced talent. That would be a fair statement to make. But outside of Alabama, I don't know a team in the country that has more talent to work with than what we have. But we are missing a lot of key pieces. You can see that out there. There's a lot of youth, a lot of guys getting their first extended snaps uh, with, with the one defense. And, and that's to be expected to you know just be a work in progress. But I do think the middle of our defense right now, as you point out, inside linebackers, I, I need to see more there. I think that we have some guys going to be answers. And Smile Monin, who was not out there on Saturday, is almost, I don't want to say certainly, but right now, Curtis, would you handicap him as a starter probably once he gets back healthy? Um, especially when it comes to passing situations, because that was where I was very, very unimpressed with what we had, or at least at part of our combo. Yeah, and I think that's what that's one of the things that I walked away thinking. It was like defensively, I just don't think that we have the team speed that we did last year. And yeah, newsflash, of course we don't. We never were. We knew that. Like we knew that intellectually, Curse. But then you see it out there in the field and you're like, oh yeah, like we don't have those kind of guys right now. Like you don't have Quay Walker and Nicobe Dean and Channing Tindall, who all played a ton of football for us, but also was just I mean, they were erasers. They were flat-out erasers at inside linebacker. I'm really high on Pop. I think Pop Johnson's, Dimash Johnson is going to be a great player for us. But, Curse, when you watch him play, I mean, this is the, we saw a little bit last year, small sample size, but this is the first extended amount of time that we have to see him play. I felt like he was more of a, let's say, a Monty Rice type inside linebacker than he was in a Kobe Dean, Quay Walker type guy. Is that fair? Um, I actually think it's very perfect fitting because that's exactly what I was going to say. Like he right now only seems like he needs to be there um, in true running situations where like we were back in those days where Monty came out when we went to passing downs right now, unless he steps it up. That's what I saw. Yeah. And look, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not taking a shot at him by calling him Monty Rice. Monty Rice was fantastic for us. If he can be Monty Rice, we have a hell of a player for us. No doubt. But Monty Rice, for the majority of his career, was a two-down linebacker. And what I saw, I know this only, look, we're overreacting. That's what we're doing here. But overreacting to what I saw at G-Day, I got the vibe that Pop Pop Dumas Johnson might be a two-down linebacker in the vein of Monty Rice. And a a very good two-down linebacker, but I mean, there were a couple of times you're defending tight ends, defending running backs out there in space where, I mean, let's just be real, Curtis. He was beat, you know? I mean, beat. And a couple of the one or two of those was completed. Maybe one or two of them were not. But, I mean, those guys were getting steps on him in a way that we didn't see running backs and tight ends get steps on to Kobe Dean and Quay Walker and Channing Tindall last year. 
So I, I just think it's, it's going to be a different look. I, I think when Smile Monty gets out there, he is the kind of guy that has the athleticism that you saw from the three inside linebackers last year. And in fact, I think there's a world in which he might be the most athletic of that entire group when it's all said and done, but he doesn't have the experience. So there's a little bit of concern there in the middle of the defense. And, and again, we, we don't have Jordan Davis. We said this before. I, I agree with you, Curtis. I thought the defensive line flashed and looked actually really good much better than I was anticipating, to be honest. That might have been where my biggest concerns lied outside of, of Zion Logan. And we knew what we had in Jalen Carter, but the guys around them, like you just didn't know. You really had no clue. I mean, you hear some things coming out of practice, but we hadn't seen it with our own two eyes, which is what I put more of a premium on. So you didn't really know, but I thought they played really, really well. Now, we don't have Jalen – again, we don't have Jordan Davis, so we're going to have to do it a little bit differently. We don't have that big space eater, so I do have questions – about how effectively we're going to be able to stop the run. I mean, it's just not going to be the same as last year. We're not going to stop the run as as well as we did last year. We're not going to be as dominant against the run, which then opens up a secondary that's going to have some new pieces there. That concerns me because one of the things that we were able to do to protect our secondary last year is we were able to play with structural integrity in the back end. We were able to keep a too high safety look the vast majority of the time because we were able to stop the run with even numbers up front with a big spacer like Jordan Davis. With him not there and having some new faces inside linebacker, that's a concern for me. Are we going to have to roll safety down in the box a little bit more? Does that open us up to more vertical shots down the field, more explosive plays by opposing offenses? That concerns me. That does concern me. So I think we need to find some answers there. I think we have a lot of talent. Again, I love the talent. We just got to figure out how all the pieces fit together. And once we get fully healthy, I think that will certainly help as well because we have a bunch of guys that, that were not out there. But I'm going to go back to the biggest takeaway, Chris. My biggest takeaway from this, from this one scrimmage, and call it overreaction if you want, that's fine. But I did an episode a couple of weeks ago. I think it was a, a mailbag episode. And one of the questions was like, how good can the Georgia offense be? Something like that. And I just straight up said, I think this can be the best Georgia offense in the history of the Georgia football program. And after what I saw on Saturday, I'm going to double down on that. I'm going to double down that prediction that this is going to be the most prolific, productive Georgia offense in the history of our program. Now, that might not be saying much. Because, you know, historically speaking, this program has not been built on, like, high-powered offenses. That's not really, really ever what we've done. We've had really good offenses, but we've never been, like, you know, a wide-open attack a la Ohio State or Alabama's been recently. But I do think this offense, with the weapons that we have at our disposal, is going to be the best offense in Georgia history. I think we have weapons all over the field. And we had some weapons last year, but we relied heavily on a couple of guys, you know, the running backs, obviously, Zeus, and, and more so James James Cook, some of those big explosive plays. Brock Bowers, we leaned heavily on. AD came on late in the year. Lad made some plays for us here and there. But it wasn't as large of a group of players that were making those big-time plays for us. This year, Curtis, you look all over the field. I mean, we'll get to Reed Gilbert here in a minute. We'll talk a lot about him. But Reed Gilbert, you got, I think, Lad McConkey and AD Mitchell right to the next step. Kiaris Jackson back fully healthy. Uh, Don Blaylock's back. Jackson Meeks is doing some good things. Um, you've got a guy like Oscar Delp who had almost hundred yards receiving in his first outing out there in front of the, the Bulldog faithful. And then you factor in guys like Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton. I thought Dejon Edwards looked really good. You got some guys coming in with Branson Robinson. I mean, this offense, Curtis has weapons all over the place in a way. I don't think any Georgia offense has ever really had like that quantity of weapons and Stetson Bennett, I think has gotten better. I think Stetson Bennett's going to take his game to the next level. And I love, and I think he's being pushed. I love what I saw from the back of quarterback. So I'm doubling down on that. Call no reaction if you want, but I am. I'm going to double, maybe even triple down on the idea that the George offense in 2022 will be the best offense 
in our football program's history. How do you how do you feel about that, Kurt? I'm not ready to go there, and it has nothing to do with quarterback play, which I, most listeners will probably just try to say I'm doubting it because of quarterback play. But the fact is, I look back to those offenses we had with Aaron Murray, and they were very prolific, and I'm just not ready to say that we're going to match that output quite yet. Which, But I think we can, but do I think it'll happen? I'm not there would it shock you, Curtis, are. if I told you that we actually averaged more yards per play last year offensively than we ever did with Aaron Murray and with those with those offenses? No, because I thought we were pretty explosive, especially in the past game. We hit quite a few big plays, but I need scoring is where we're going to have to yeah. score. No offense to that stat you just spit out, but yardage is the most wasted stat in all of football. It doesn't matter. Total yards, yes. Yards, yards per play is, I think, that that is where you got to look, Curtis. Yards, how, how well, yeah, yards per play. play? yards per play I think is important but the whole they put up this many yards like Florida outgained us when we played them this past year and that's what their fans you know sat on yet we beat their butts and beat them easily the fact is so yeah I'm gonna be more focused on points per game because that is the separator yeah but to me that's also can be misleading too because like last year defensively we were so dominant we just basically stopped trying to score in the second half like to me I look at yards per play as like my primary offensive stat. How efficient, how productive are you? We were top five in the country last year, Curtis, at almost seven yards per play. Again, that was better than any year under Aaron Murray, who was fantastic for us, all those high-producing offenses. And I think we have more weapons this year. So I could be wrong. I could definitely be wrong. But let me I'm gonna overreact here. I'm overreacting to what I saw. I'm well, no, I, mean, I, I, I don't I don't I don't think it's a bad overreaction when you look at all the weapons and the fact that we weren't didn't have all of our people on the offensive line, which We'll get to later. Um, you didn't have Brock Bowers, who we're talking about all the tight ends and things. But, yeah, we didn't even have Brock Bowers, who was an All-American last year. And so we weren't even fully healthy out there, and yet we still saw the weapons. Yeah, and look, I mean, look, I can be wrong. I, as I said at the outside of the show, this is all about overreactions today. But I, I actually truly believe this one, Curtis, and I, I, I very well could end up being wrong. But I truly believe the best offense in Georgia history. Well, I'll say this, too. I think we also have the best offense of mind with continuity that we've ever had as an offense coordinator to go along with all these weapons. So I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility at all. Thank you, Curtis. That's that's you're just further making my point for me, man. I really appreciate you, dude. Thank you for that. Yeah. I, I love Todd Monk. I think Todd Munkin's a monster and he has more weapons to play with than maybe any Georgia offense coordinator in history. So I know I, I agree with you. I think he's the best offensive coordinator we've had, at least in my time. And he's got more weapons than I think any coordinators had, at least in, again, in my time. And I think, that all adds up to maybe the most productive offense in Georgia history. We'll see. We'll see. A lot left to be played out, and we'll see if we can stay healthy. And all those things matter too, of course. But right now, with the weapons, man, I I, I love love what I saw from the offense and what we have going into 2022. But let's stick with the offense here, Curtis. All right, I'm going to give you an overreaction here, and um, just tell me what you think. Stetson Bennett still clearly the number one quarterback. Are you with me? Yeah, I'm with you 100. percent now, saying that, and I, I, I know you're uh, the president of the Stetson Bennett Hater Club, which is cool. That's cool. I respect it. Um, I will I will throw you a bone here, Curtis. You know, we talked about this all offseason or all during the season, and I think this is a fair criticism of Stetson. Of Stetson. I think sometimes criticism goes over the top, but I do think he's good. He At least last year, and I guess go back to 2020 as well, he was good for at least one or two boneheaded decision a game, right? Where And sometimes it worked against us and teams were able to capitalize on it. Sometimes we got away with it. And that's what I want to see from Stetson this year. It's like, can he eliminate those plays? Kirby Smart himself has talked about that in press conferences this spring. Can he eliminate those things? They're trying to work that out. 
And Kirby's raved about him, you know, in press conferences, which Kirby doesn't isn't always apt to do. Um, but he's felt good about what he's seen from Stetson. I felt good about what I saw from Stetson last uh, on Saturday. But Curtis, I still saw some of the questionless decisions thrown into tight coverage, kind of inexplicable throws. What do you make of that? I agree. Um, you know, there was that one bad pick with about three minutes to go. That was a terrible throw. And then there was another one that should have been picked um, that he went for. You hold the one against almost the, the goal line right before the half. You don't hold that against him, though, right? I mean, you're just trying to make a play on. You know, I was about to say, I don't, I don't hold that one against him because in that situation you can't take a sack you're there's no time left on the clock so the, what's the point like you, you're trying to make something happen so yeah. no that that's just being aggressive trying not to rest on you know trying to be aggressive and i don't fault him on that um you know for those who didn't go and listen to greg McElroy, he said something that really stood out to me and about stetson bennett and you're talking about it and you know he made that one bad pick and that throw to cares and triple coverage what i want to see out of him is more winning plays and I think Greg McElroy hit the nail on the head. He was like, a winning play doesn't mean you're throwing a big completion or touchdown or all these things. But it's the winning play of not throwing that interception. Taking a sack instead of trying to make something happen. Throw the ball away. Don't make those little mistakes like you're talking about. Just try to make winning plays in and out every down, which doesn't have to be you know, a touchdown or a big completion. But it has to be a play that doesn't lose your team the game. Yeah, that, that's pretty insightful. I will I will defend Stetson here, Stetson here and say I thought he made a bunch of winning plays for us last year. Now he did have those decisions sometimes where it's like, oh my god, like what are you doing? Um, well, and, and that's I, the thing. Like, and, and I'm not saying that he isn't, and I, and I don't think Greg was either. But like you said, there are those. There have been those history of laps, and I think that's what he's saying is like if you get rid of those little brain farts, call yeah. them that, then. He, the sky's the limit realistically because he can make the throws. He has the legs. He can do those things. If you can get rid of those brain farts and turn them into winning plays of just taking a sack or just throwing it away or just doing those things, then realistically, I have no qualms with him being our quarterback. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And that's 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 really what I want to see from Stetson. Can you eliminate those plays? Can you eliminate those plays that can cost you a game against good opponents? And last year, we were just so much better than just about everyone that we played in the regular season that yeah, he made some of those mistakes, and even if they were able to capitalize on them, they still weren't good enough to actually beat us. Um, but, you know, we might come across somebody like Oregon Week 1. Who knows? You know, they, that's a talented team, and you know, Mario Crispall recruited really well there. We'll see, I know they got some issues at quarterback, and if it's going to be Bo Nix, then God bless you, man. But, yeah, I mean, you, I think if you eliminate those, Stetson Bennett can be – I think, honestly, if Stetson Bennett can eliminate those, Curtis, and you're probably not going to agree with this because you are the president of the Stetson Bennett Hate Club, but – if he can eliminate those, I think Stetson Bennett can be a, you know, a, a top ten percent quarterback in college football. I really believe that. I think he can be. I, I can believe it. I mean, he had he had great numbers last year. It was just mm-hmm. us trying to protect him at times, and then the other times of him making some mistakes. Going back the last two years, if he was able to cut all those out, like I said, he has the tools to make all the do all the little things. So if he could cut those out yeah. and be the consistent quarterback, then I don't I don't disagree that it could happen. What do you make of his final numbers? So 15 of 35, uh, two interceptions, 273 yards passing, three touchdowns. So we got to put this in context, Curtis. Obviously, we didn't even really try to run the football. Uh, I mean, the black team, I'm looking at it right here, the black team ran the ball 16 times. So we were clearly out there. And, like, when you're in a setting like that, like you don't want anybody to get hurt. It's more likely somebody's going to get hurt when you run the football with those big collisions. So there's part, and also you want to you want to entertain the fan base, and it's just a good time to be able to go out there and work on the passing game. So when you have no threat of the run game, 
you know, the defense is able to pin their ears back. They know what's coming. And it's harder to complete passes. I mean, I think that's fair to say. But what do you make of those final numbers? Kind of like you said, I mean, that's what I would expect when you're not have a run game. Because, like, Stetson is really good when he can use the play action and even the potential read option to try to just mix things up. And that just wasn't there at all. Even if there was a per se read option, the, the fact, the possibility of them keeping it when you're touched and you're down as a quarterback or you're not trying to run the ball with your running backs as much, it just takes away a lot, a lot of what makes him successful. Um, and I mean, I don't think Stetson, yeah, he's a gunslinger per se, but I don't think he's someone's going to sit in the pocket and throw the ball 50 times. Bingo. And then have the best number. That's not what our offense is. It's not what our offense was last year. It's not what our offense really is built to be with Stetson Bennett. Our offense is run the football and take shot plays off that. We were one of the most explosive offenses of the country. Stetson Bennett was a top five quarterback in the country in yards per complete large yards per attempt last year. And that's because we were able to work the play action game and take shots down the field. He had a fair number of those. We have some explosive playmakers out there. Um, but when he's asked to sip, it's like the Alabama game, the SEC championship game, Curtis, right? In the second half where we got behind and it took the run game away because we had to try to score quickly. And if he's asked to sit back there and just sling the ball around without the threat of a run game, that's not optimal for Stetson Bennett. That's just not what he's built to do. And it's not what our offense is built to do in general, especially with him at the helm. So I'm not surprised. Those, and I'm not alarmed by it either. Curtis, that's not what we're going to do week in and week out once we hit the season, right? No, not at all. We'll do. Uh, it's not, I'm not saying we're going to do it like we did last year. We're trying to throw it under 20 times. But the fact is you still need to help him by setting up the run and allowing right. that to be open everything yeah. else up. Agree. I, I do think we'll throw the ball more this year. Um, I feel pretty confident in that. But I, again, we're not going to sit back there and abandon the run and just chuck the ball around the field like we're Mississippi State with Mike Leach Airy. That's just not going to happen. That's basically what we were doing on Saturday, and that's just not what our offense is going to be. So if you look at the numbers, you're like, oh, man, like Carson Beck, you know, like, uh, I don't know, you put up better numbers. Like, all right, calm down. First off, it wasn't the first-team defense, I guess, until the second second half of the game. But um, just I would disregard those numbers, just me personally, I just because that's just not what our offense is going to be. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Um, all right, Curtis. So, Stetson, I'm with you. I think that he's going to be the dude. At quarterback for us, and I am down with that. What I think is more interesting, and I said this last week, Curtis, is who is going to be the number two quarterback? What is your take on what you saw in the battle between Carson Beck and, Bar- and Brock Vandegrift on Saturday? Um, I'm definitely giving Beck the head. I, I think he's definitely getting the nod, number two. 
Um, I, you know, it did, it was unfortunate for Vandegrift that when he was getting snaps, it was against the first team D for where Beck didn't get as much. So it was hard to build those stats and things like that. But the fact is, even then his, he just, the game hasn't slowed down enough for him yet compared to how it has for Beck. Um, the reads just aren't as quick. He's just not seeing the field as well. And I, it's not that he can't do it. I think if come this time next year, if they're both still here, that's going to be a hell of a battle because it should slow down for Vandegrift by that time. But the fact is going into year three in the system for Beck, I think he's more comfortable as year three in a row um, with Monken. And I just think that he's the guy and God, heaven forbid anything ever happened. And we had to go to him right now. I feel a lot more comfortable having him step into where like last year, where we tried to, and he just wasn't ready. I think that he may be, if this, if that was to happen this year, I think I'd be a lot more comfortable. And I think he'd be a lot more prepared and ready to take a hold of it. I actually, Curtis, I really like, I, I think Stetson's the guy I'm down with that. I'm with Stetson. I'm on the Stetson train, but like, God forbid, like you said, knock on wood, Something happened to Stetson and got injured. I mean, we've seen it the last couple. We we've seen it the last couple years for us, unfortunately, where people have been hurt. So it's not that anyone wants injuries, but we've seen that you have to be prepared at all times. Absolutely, and that goes back to you know we what was the second first second week of of spring practice when you know all the reports are coming out. I was being told from coaches that were in attendance there watching in the coaches' clinic that that uh, Beck and and Vandegrift are getting more reps with the one offense than Stetson was. It's like, oh, whoa, what's happening? And clearly now in retrospect, Curtis, now that we have more information to operate here, it's just Kirby's doing his due diligence and just being prepared because you're right. Like we've had injuries at quarterback or situations, whatever you want to call them, not always injuries, but situations at quarterback. And uh, we've had to to have guys to call on. And we need to have a guy right now because we've said before, like Stetson Bennett, you know, say what you want about him, but at the very least, that guy was like the ultimate security blanket for you as a backup quarterback, like the the ultimate backup quarterback for his first couple of years. And now he's taken over and he's taking his game to the next level. But we don't have that step. We well, I was concerned, curious about do we have that stats a bit behind us? If something happens to sets and now it's a starter, do we have a guy that can come in and win football games? And I think the answer is yes, Curtis. I do. And I, again, small sample size, overreaction. That's what we're here today to do today. But I think the answer is yes with Carson Beck. Maybe with Brock Vandegrift as well. But I feel I'm with you. I feel a lot more confident, comfortable and confident in Carson Beck right now. I think based off what we saw on Saturday, he is the clear number two quarterback. I don't to me, there's not even a question there. Like I'm ready to say that. You want to you want to you want to I'll give you guys an overreaction. I don't think right now if those any if either of those two leave, I don't think there's a quarterback room in the SEC that is as talented as where I think any of those the any team's first three could win them a game. So you're saying if, if we are able to keep Vandegrift Beck and Gunnerstock, then you think? No, no, been... I'm talking about. I'm talking about. I'm talking about the first three with Stetson, Carson, okay. and Vandegrift. That I still think that we could win a game with either one, and I don't know how many other teams in the SEC could say that. Oh, best quarterback room in the SEC, top three guys. Interesting, Curtis. I I might be with you on that. I think. I mean, obviously, Bryce Young, Alabama. You know, that's the best quarterback in the league. But yeah, behind him, interesting. All right, there's a little hot take for you. I can go with that. I can be down with that. But I, I'm 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 on the Beck train as the number two guy right now, and I'm very high on Brock Vandegrift. I've been high on Brock Vandegrift for a while. I think he can be a really good quarterback. I love the athleticism he brings to the table, which he didn't really get to show off that much in, in a G day type setting. But he does bring that element to the to the table, which is something that I mean Stetson brings it to a degree, but not with the physicality that Vandegrift does, because Vandegrift's just a bigger guy. And Beck can Beck is mobile ish, like he can move enough, but he's not the mobile. He doesn't have the mobility of a guy like Vandegrift. Vandegrift. You would design runs for Brock Vandegrift, not for Carson Beck. Carson Beck can extend plays, escape the pocket, those kind of things, which is good. You know, you'd have to be able to do that, but not in the to the same degree as Brock Vandegrift. But 
again, I don't think it was particularly close. I thought in what we saw from those from both these guys on Saturday, it, it was Beck all the way. And yes, you're right, Curtis, in saying that Vandergrift did work have to go against the number one defense, you know, in the first half, which certainly is tougher. I mean, I, but I'm not basing it off numbers or results, really. What I'm basing it off, yeah. or I'm basing it off what I saw of him in like the skill set. You know, I, I thought that Beck moved really well in the pocket, better than Vandergrift. He seemed more comfortable, poised in the pocket. I thought he was more accurate. I thought he read the field better, more patient, more composed. I thought, he, and I I enjoyed. Curtis, I thought it was great to see him throw from different arm angles to complete passes. I think that's a big skill quarterback. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I just I thought his pocket presence was very um, impressive. The slide step, um, the way he was stepping up in the pocket. And then, like yeah. you said, there were times where the running backs, he dropped to different arm angles, like uh, uh, Matthew, Stafford, Matthew Stafford-esque. Yeah. Um, so, and he, so he threw it from all platforms with the great pocket presence. So it was I was impressed by it. Yeah, and Vandergrift. I'm not saying he didn't do some good things. He did some good things, but yeah, he, I mean that that one that one throw to um, Blaylock towards the end of the game on the sideline was an absolute beautiful throw. That was a dime, man! Fantastic. And he has that ability. That's why I'm high on Vandergrift long term. But you got to remember, Curtis. Like he's still a really young player. He's going to his second year here on campus. I mean, he was running scout team for us last year. He wasn't really getting reps at all with it with the. With the ones or the twos once the season started. So he's still very much in the development stage. I am not at all writing him off. I just think right now Carson Beck is clearly a step ahead right now. I think things have clicked for him. Like you said, they've slowed down for him in a way they haven't really slowed down for Brandon Griff yet. Because again, go up, talk about some questionable decisions that Stetson made. I mean, dude, some of those throws Vandegriff made into like double and triple coverage, like what are you thinking type throws? And that's fine. He's a young guy. You got to get that out of your system. I'm not bashing him, killing him. He's going to grow. He's going to develop. I think he's going to be in the thick of the battle next year. But right now, talking about 2022, I think it's pretty clear. As far as I'm concerned, as what I've, from what I've seen, and I yeah, small sample size, overreaction. It's what we're doing today. I think Beck's the guy. I think it's Stetson number one, Beck number two, pretty clearly for me at this point. Pretty clearly. Um, all right, Curtis. So we've kind of buried the lead here. Because what everybody wants to talk about coming out of out of G Day is the reemergence of tight end Arik Gilbert. What did you make of Arik Gilbert's performance on Saturday? You know, more than anything, I was just happy for the kid. Um, yeah. I think that was the, my first thought, especially when he caught that first touchdown pass. It's just like good for him. You know, the kid's battled. He's really, you know, I t- talked about it in the past, trying to put these demons behind him, get himself in the right place. Um, and I'm just so happy for him to go back out there. You know, I don't know him like some of these other people, like Terrence, Ed- or I think it was Terrence Edwards. Yeah, he worked with Terrence um, Edwards, Who was just beaming for him. And, and But you can see that the, he's a good kid, and he's really worked hard. Um, and I'm, so I'm just happy. I mean, skill set-wise, I mean, we know the guy's an absolute monster, an absolute athletic freak, but just to see him overcome these things and come out right now, at least on the right side, it's just it's wonderful to see. And then I think it – benefit it behooves our team and makes our team even more dangerous um with him and curtis here's the thing this is after 15 practices man he didn't play at all last year had not practiced and this is also coming in at this is also him coming in closer to 300 pounds so not only has he had to work to get back into the thick of things like with practice and reps but he's also trying to get his weight under control so he's he's like been having to work on a lot of different things exactly and to see him be this productive and this dangerous and just, I mean, this eye opening, honestly, after 15 practices, that just, it's tantalizing, man. It's tantalizing about how good this guy can be for us in the 2022 season. I think I texted you, Curtis. I think I can't remember exactly. I'm trying to pull this up here. What did I text you about Gilbert? 
something along the I don't know what did I say? All right, I said Gilbert is gonna be the reason we go back to back. Are you <laughs> am I reaching a little bit there? Was that just my inner fan getting the best of me? Because that's that's what I am. I mean, yeah, we run a podcast, but I'm I'm just a Georgia fan like everyone else out there. Was that what this was? Just a case of my inner fandom getting the best of me? I mean, a little bit, yeah. But the fact is, just everything he brings to the table, though, because we're going to need a good offense, and it's obvious he can bring that. Him and Brock Bauer, just those two. Yeah, and look, I I am very well aware that 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 is an overreaction. Say like Gilbert's going to be the reason we go back to back, but dude. We've talked about this so many times on this show. 13 personnel. We did it with Fitzpatrick last year. Teams simply could not stop us when we were doing that. We destroyed Michigan. With I spent the entire lead-up to the Orange Bowl just begging us to go with 13 personnel. And we did it for large match, not the entire game, but enough to where we were just able to gash Michigan, force them in their base package. Shoot, right now – Right now, if Darnell stays, we could go 14 personnel and still be yeah, a matchup. That's, that's what I was going to say next. Literally, Curtis, with Oscar Delp going for seven catches, 91 yards, something like that, with his ability to catch the football. And look, he's young. He's got to grow and do some – he's got to be better as a blocker, and he's got to you know make sure he's picking up all his assignments, all those things, of course. Just like you know we had to see from Brock Bowers this time last year. But just like we saw from Brock Bowers this time last year, the athleticism, the pass-catching ability, the play-making ability – Oh, that's there, Curtis. Like that that's there. And I knew that. I mean, we told you guys that when we signed this guy. I'm not saying he's gonna be Brock Bowers, but in terms of athleticism, he is very much the equal of Brock Bowers in terms of athleticism. Now he's not quite as big and strong and thick right now. I think he needs to get a little stronger. But I mean, in terms of making plays in the passing game, oh, he can do that. He can do that. And he started to show us some glimpses of that on Saturday. And you're right, Curtis. I mean, you can mix and match in line, who's spreading out, who's playing the slot, and teams have to respond with their base personnel because we're going to run the ball down your throat if you don't. And I don't know if there's a team in the country that can stop that. I really don't. I don't think there's a team in the country that can stop that. So that's why I'm saying, like, Gilbert can be the reason why we go back-to-back. I mean, I know our defense is not going to be as dominant. We've, we've gone over that. But this offense, curse, I think, can take a massive step forward. And we were we were an elite offense last year. No one wants to admit that. Not enough people want to admit that. But we were. We were an elite offense last year if you look at the advanced measures. But uh, I think we're going to be even better this year. And I think that's a scary thought for what this team can do. And I think the rest of the SEC better be concerned about that. Because if, with Gilbert, because let's not forget, this is a Gatorade player of the year, national player of the year. I think the first tight end in the history of high school football to be the Gatorade national player of the year, former top 10 prospect. Everybody in the country wanted him. We were upset when we lost. And we were, we were like, oh, we got Darnell Washington. But we all wanted Arik Gilbert. We all wanted that guy. And to have him added to this tight end room, Curtis, I'm dead serious, man. I don't know if there's ever been a better tight end room in the history of college football. I mean, that's an overreaction. Fine. But, like, I'm, I'm actually serious about that. Like, I really don't know if there's ever been a better overall tight end room in the history of college football. I'm sure there's some old-timer out there that say, oh, Oklahoma back in 1951. Okay, maybe. I don't know. At least as far as I've been watching college football in the last 20 years, I don't think there's ever been a better tight end room than what we've got right now. I think that's crazy, man. We just got playmaker after playmaker after playmaker. So I'm pumped about this guy, and he's got some things he's got to clean up on too, and he's got to continue to get in shape and all those things. But, again, after 15 practices, and this is what what he looks like, whoo, watch out. Watch out. Um, all right, Curtis, let's go uh, Let's go receivers here, man. Lad McConkie starting – at the Z receiver opposite AD Mitchell, what did you make of that? We talked, we talked, uh, it was maybe last week about how we had this embarrassment of riches at the slot receiver. And one of the questions I asked you was like, who do you, of those guys, who do you think is more likely to play on the outside? I think you said Kieris, but it was Lad Curtis who opened at least G Day as one of the two starting wide receivers. What'd you make of that? Um, 
you know, it was impressive. The thing was, we just didn't see much of him. Um, you saw a lot more Kiaris. Kiaris looks healthy like he did more so before um, two years ago when he was our leading receiver for half the season. That's the Kiaris I saw out there. Um, we just didn't get as much of an opportunity to see Ladd. He had a couple of tunnel screens, I think, or at least one, and it just wasn't as good. Or, I mean, it just wasn't the rep. Um, yeah. Well, you could tell that the defense but, had seen that a lot in practice and they were ready for it. Yeah, exactly. Um, but Kiaris was the one that shined, but it doesn't shock me. I mean, Lad's made some very big plays, and he's explosive. He's shifty. I mean, he's, in my opinion, he's a more athletic Hunter Renfro. Maybe not as great route running quite yet, but the fact is he has all those skills. Oh, I think he's definitely more athletic, no doubt about it. Um, I wasn't surprised because I think Lad's going to be a big-time player for us. I was I was maybe slightly surprised, I guess I should say, that he was outside, not in the slot. But, I mean, he played. He did play out there last year. You know, we, he was forced into duty there. He started as a slot guy. When we opened the season against Clemson, then, you know, go to the Auburn game, and we basically have two healthy receivers. It's him and AD. And so he was playing there last year and made some plays for us. He absolutely can do it. There's no doubt. I think he's a better slot receiver, but he can absolutely do that there. So I wasn't stunned to see that. But um, that's certainly something to watch there. We'll see if that holds. I, I think, honestly, Curse, it probably will. At this point, I'd say he'll probably start the season out there because we have options like Kiaris. We have Dom. Those guys can operate in the inside the slot there. So, yeah, I think at this point, based off what we saw on Saturday, right now it looks like Lad McConkie is the starter at the Z receiver. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Jumping back in here, I want to move on, Curtis, here real quick because I know we're running out of time here. We've got a lot more to cover here. So much to cover that we're not getting a chance to talk about all of it. All right, one guy, I think he should have to both of us, Curtis, Tyrion Ingram Dawkins. We were talking all throughout the spring about who, who who's going to be replacing all these, these big-time players on the defensive line, and we talked about all these different players. But I think we mentioned Ingram Dawkins in passing. I think maybe I said last week, like, he's a guy that was really high on coming to high school, but he's still a little thin. But this dude, Flash Curtis, what did you make of what you saw from Tyrion Ingram Dawkins? Um, he reminds me of Devontae Wyatt right now. Um, that that's the skill set I saw from him, someone who can stop the run, who, but who's also uh, a menace in the pass rush. Yeah, this guy, he played, and it was interesting. He's got positional versatility. He played, like, because Tremel Walthour did not play. Uh, Marlon Dean, he wasn't playing outside linebacker for us, but the word I've got, he didn't play. I, word I got, he's, he got hurt last week, so that's not great. But we we talked about and Michael Williams, the guy that played for the second team defense as an early enrollee at the five tech. But we don't have a ton of bodies there, and I never I I, I kind of like you know bash myself in the head over this, but I never really thought about Ingram Dawkins playing out there at the five. But and he's bigger than your typical five tech guy, but he's so athletic. That's what he brings to the table. Even in high school, he's a little bit undersized, and we were always questioning like, yeah, we love the athleticism, but man, like, can he get can he gain the weight? And he's he's in the two ninety range right now. 
And that's again bigger than our typical, you know, five tech guy. Usually guys playing that between like 270, 280, 285, something like that. But he's so athletic. I think he can play that position and play it well at that size. And he did. He did on Saturday. I think he's a guy that you can slide inside and passing downs as a pass rusher. I thought he looked explosive, Curtis. And I, I like the comparison there to Devontae Wyatt. He's got similar athleticism, not quite as big and stout as Devontae, but I thought he held up well against the run. And I think this is a guy that's going to play a ton for us. Were you surprised to see him out there with the number one defense ahead of Zion Logue? Um, Maybe a little bit. Um, to me, I, I think maybe I'm incorrect, but I think Logue is more someone we're trying to push on the inside where yeah. um, Ingram Dawkins has more of the position versatility you were just talking about. Yeah, Logan is more of a, of a. I think if we're gonna have a guy that's gonna play that zero tech, and look, and we saw, I saw Jalen Carter play zero, head up the nose guard or shading the nose guard. I saw Zion Lug do. We saw Nas Stackhouse do. I might have seen Ingram Dawkins on a passing down, like a third down lineup in there as a pass rusher. So we've got some guys that we can move around, and that's one thing I like about the defensive line this year. Do we have the top level talent outside of Jalen Carter that we had last year compared to guys like Devontae Wyatt and and of course Jordan Davis and Trayvon Walker? Duh, obviously potential number one overall draft pick. No, we might not have the top end talent there right now, but Kurt, we have so many guys that can do different things. And with that positional versatility that I think we can mix and match and still be really productive. I think it's gonna be a different kind of productivity. I think we're gonna see more one gap stuff. We're gonna allow these guys to penetrate a little bit more and be more disruptive in the backfield, as opposed to kind of eating up space like we did with Jordan Davis. I think you'll see more of that. And just try to just disrupt more because I think we, that's what these guys do well. Like Jordan, you, you got to play to your player's strengths. And what did Jordan Davis do well? And and, and Devontae Wyatt could, was a one gap, could be a one gap guy too. That's probably his strongest point. But we don't have the guy like Jordan Davis, so you can't just force these guys to try to be him. You got to play to their strengths, and their strengths are disruption, explosiveness. And I think you're going to see hopefully allow Kirby allow these guys to do more of that because that's what they do really, really well. Um, all right, let me go down my list here, Curtis. Uh, Jared Zirkel. All right, is this an overreaction? Did, like, Jared Zirkel was kicking for the number one offense. Right now, is he the number one kicker? Has he surpassed Pod Lesney? Um, it wouldn't shock me. Um, the fact is, you know, you and I spoke about it. the fact is, Pod has done realistically has not grabbed a hold of that position in the last going back to last fall. Um, so it would not shock me that the competitions opened up and we saw it out there. Zirkel made his kicks. Pod didn't. I know it's a little bit longer, but Pod has been a little erratic. I think he only missed one. Pod did. Yeah. Pod missed one. I don't think Zirkel. And Zirkel Zirkel didn't miss any. No. Yeah. But the fact is Pod has been erratic. Um, And if Zirkel, Zirkel may not have the leg. I don't know about that part, but the fact is if he can be more accurate, then that's what we need because it felt like Pod was missing those intermediate kicks, which are the ones that kill you the most. Um, so yeah, it Pod doesn't shock me at all. Start last year, but he came on as the year went on. He did get off to a little bit of a slow start. Well, let's not forget, Curtis, Jared Zirkel was on scholarship. Like he was the guy that we offered a scholarship to a, a kicker at a high school, which is rare, right? I mean, usually you have these guys come in and compete, and if you win the job, you get a scholarship. Like, like Rodrigo did, you know, back in the day. But Zirko was like, no, we need you, and we're going for your scholarship. So I was honestly surprised that Pod Lesney beat him out in the first place. I'm surprised that Zirko stuck around, but I'll give Kirby credit. Kirby's true to his word, at least in this position. Like, he always talks about competition, preaches that, and it appears there's a legitimate kicking competition. I'm sure it will go into fall camp, but 
as far as I'm concerned, like why was Zirkle kicking with the one offense? Because right now he's on top in that competition. Plenty of time for Pod to pull to pull back in front there, but it's good to have two options, right, Kurt? Yeah, it, it, having a competition is never a bad thing. No, of course not. I and mean, that's that's the name of the game here. Um, all right, going down the list a little bit more. Um, Arian Smith, Curtis. Arian Smith did what Arian Smith does, and he made explosive plays. How good can Arian Smith be for this team in 2022? If, if I mean, my biggest thing is if he can stay healthy, the, the sky is the limit for that kid. That kid because he has the ability to take the top off the field, and if he can do it, I mean, he look his route running, not just the deep ball, is looking better. I thought he looked better in the intermediate routes, which is where someone with track speed like him has has to work the most because a lot of, for a long time they could get by with just speed. But if he could stay healthy, I think he could be. And why, like a wild card seek weapon for us that people are discounting when they're saying we need to hit the portal or something. They're forgetting about people like Arian Smith. Curtis, this guy has played 24 snaps in two years for Georgia. 24 snaps. Not because he can't play. When the guy gets in the in the game, he makes play after play. There's no one in the country at cornerback or safety that can stay with him. I mean, this guy has legit elite tracks. He's a 10 flat 100 meter guy. Nobody in the country can cover him. He might be the fastest player in college football if he can stay on the field. But he's played 24 snaps in two years. He played three snaps as a freshman, 21 snaps last year. He missed like six weeks with a bruise last year, Curtis. So my concern with him, you're right, is can the dude stay healthy? Because if he can stay healthy, he's going to be good for at least one or two explosive plays a game. And Curtis, one or two explosive plays a game against the best competition can be the difference in the game. I truly believe he is the definition of a difference maker if he can stay on the field. He, he just Every time he's on the field, he's making plays, Curtis, every single time. Even if he's not making plays, you have to account for him. There's no one that can stay with him. So he's just got to stay healthy. And that part of that, I mean, I, we'll see. I'm sure he's going to run track this, this season. Of course he is. I mean, that's fine. But, like, I, part of me wonders if that contributes to his inability to stay healthy, you know, just the stress put on his body there. You're not working out with the team. You're not getting bigger and stronger because those are things he needs to do. So that concerns me a little bit, but if we can keep him healthy, I mean, dear God, I mean, that guy can be again, a flat out difference maker. Uh, all right, Kurt, I know you gotta get out of here, man. Anything I missed so far. I mean, I have a lot more on the list, but anything. Well, I have one, I have one and maybe we'll talk about it later, but I think that my overreaction is come that first game against Oregon, the two people starting at guard that we had start in spring game will not be starting. Okay. So you don't think really, why not? So trust and really, you don't think so. Who, who's going to be in replacing them? Um, well, I think if Ratledge is able to go, I think he's a guy. Um, and I think it'll come down to maybe Russ or um, trust and Willick and people like that battle out for another guard position. But the fact is I was very unimpressed. Um, but what I saw out of them. I think Willick held his, I mean, Kurt, you got to factor that Willick was going against maybe the best teams in the country. Well, I, I think, well, and that's why I think re- my, my biggest thing is the left guard position, because I think if Tate comes yeah. back healthy, is able to step in, like we're hoping he can take that right guard position. Um, so it's going to be a heck of a battle at left guard, but especially trust. He was getting, you know, we talked about Ingram Dawkins and he was blowing them all up on the left side. No one 
Um, but I was just yeah, I have questions eight. about trust being the answer there. I thought Willick yeah. held his own relatively well against Jalen Carter. Well, I think Willick, I, see, the thing is, Willick is not as tapped out where trust has been in the program a long time, so he doesn't have as much room. But I think Willick, maybe more reps can help him. I just, I'm, I'll go out and say at least one of them, if not both of them, will not be starting. Interesting. How did you feel about the tackles? Um, a lot left to be desired, but when there's no threat of run game and the defense line knows they can pin their ears back and go balls to the wall the whole time. It's going to be hard to stop them every time. Yeah. Going back to guard, I thought Will played pretty well. It wasn't a dominant performance, but in the few instances where we did run the football, it wasn't a lot, but when we did, I felt like he got good solid movement more so than what we saw from Warren Erickson last year at right guard, which is what you and I have been talking about and calling for going back to last September, really. So I saw some progress there. Now, again, he was going against primarily Jalen Carter. I mean, we moved some guys around, but he was matched up with Jalen Carter more often than not, and Jalen Carter got the best of him a couple of times because Jalen Carter is probably the best returning interior defense alignment in college football. That's to be expected. Jalen Carter is going to get the better of offensive guards the vast majority of this season. But I also felt like Willick held his own for most of the scrimmage against one of the best players in all of college football. I do wonder what's going to happen once we get Tate Ratledge back. Again, I've said this many times. I'll say it again. I was told coming out of fall camp last season that Tate Ratledge was the best offensive lineman on the entire team. He had the best fall camp of, of anyone on the offensive line. The coaching staff was extraordinarily excited about him. Then he suffers the Liz Frank foot injury. The first series, very early. I want to say it's the first series, right? Very early on in the Clemson game. And boom, he's out for the rest of the year. And we kind of had a makeshift offensive line. We had to throw in a center at with Warren Erickson playing guard all season long. And it was what it was. We accomplished the ultimate goal of winning a national title, but it certainly was not without issues at that position. So if Tate Ratledge comes back and he is the Tate Ratledge he was last season, then all bets are off there. You have to imagine that he's going to factor in as one of the starters, whether it be right guard or left guard. He was a starter at right guard entering last season. But we just don't know the health situation, Curtis. I think that's my only holdup there is we just don't know. I think Xavier Trust is solid. I think he's serviceable. I think he can, I mean, look, I think Xavier Trust can give us what Warren Erickson gave us last year and probably a little bit more because he is bigger. I think he can get more interior push there. But again, I would like ideally for Devin Willett to continue to take steps and improve and then Tate Rattledge to come back and be who he was last season. Ultimately, I think that's what will end up being better for Georgia. A couple of the backups, man. Dylan Fairchild, I'm, I was, I don't know if I would say I was high on him, but I, I thought he could grow into a good interior offensive lineman because he has a wrestling background. I'm, him and Austin Blasky, I'm always high on offensive linemen who had wrestling backgrounds in high school because of the athleticism they typically bring to the table, the toughness, the tenacity, all the things that go along with being a high school wrestler, a good high school wrestler, which both those guys were. But Dylan Fairchild, and he's still really young, so I'm not trying to kill the guy and bury him and say that he can ever be a good player because he's still really young in his development, just like Brock Vandegrift is a quarterback. But he had a rough day with the second team offense at right guard. I mean, he was whiffing on guys. He was off balance. He was reaching. He just was not a good look. He is not ready to help us right now. I think Micah Morris is a guy that could potentially help us. I, th I thought he looked fairly good for most of the scrimmage. I think he can play inside or outside. I like him more inside, but he could potentially play outside. 
But I think the three options right now, if we can get Ratledge back healthy, are going to be Willick, Ratledge, and ultimately Xavier Trust. I think it's like probably a three-man battle there, and we'll see who ultimately comes out on top. I think it's going to be Ratledge if he's back to being who he was last year, but we'll see how that battle plays out once his health continues to improve and he gets back in fall camp. He was doing a little bit. He was not participating in major contact stuff, obviously, but he was out there doing a little bit of practice at times. That's what I was told, but he's just not full go and clear to do all that kind of stuff, like participating in G-Day. So I'm I'm okay with where we are at guard right now, and I think we're in a position to be even better once we get to fall camp. At tackle, I, I love what we have in Roger Jones. I think he's highly athletic. He got the experience that we needed last year. I feel really good about him. Warman Clinton is, is as steady and solid as they come at right tackle. Is he elite? He hasn't shown that in his career, but he has been very, very good for us, and I'm excited to see what he's going to be able to do when you get into uh, his third, essentially his third year as a starter. And like you said, Curtis, I mean, when you're talking about us throwing the ball as much as we did and the running game essentially just not being a factor at all and you have some talented athletic linemen on the defensive side of the ball that are able to just basically pin their ears back and rush the passer that's a tough thing to ask any offensive lineman so under those circumstances I feel like the tackles performed pretty well. I like what I saw at an Ernest Green at left tackle with the second team offense. A brand new true freshman, early enrollee, been on campus for a couple of months, and I thought he acquitted himself very well. I think he's got a very, very high future. And don't quote me on this, but there are rumblings that Amarius Mims might actually be coming back to Athens. You know, when you enter the transfer portal, that's always a possibility. Rarely does it happen where a guy enters the portal and comes back. We saw it on the basketball side of things with Cario Quindo, which, by the way, huge news on the basketball front. I know that's not the focus of today's episode, but that's big news. So we saw that last week with Quindo and... I'm hearing there's a possibility that it might happen with Mims. I, again, don't quote me on that. I don't think it's a done deal, but... I know he was at Florida State this weekend, but I don't think the door is closed on him coming coming back to Athens. But even if he doesn't, I was really excited with what I saw from Ernest Green. I think if Mims does come back, then he'll factor into that conversation as well. And I wouldn't write Amarius Mims off in the conversation to find himself in the starting lineup at some point this season. Whether I don't think it's going to be a tackle. I think we have our answers, answers at tackle right now. But maybe on the interior, especially if Ratledge doesn't get fully healthy, I can't completely dismiss Mims. I mean, that, that's still, that's a very much a long shot because, I mean, you guys, chances are still more likely he doesn't end up back in Athens, but it seems like that door is not completely closed yet. We'll have to follow that over the next couple of weeks. And if he does come back, I mean, obviously he set himself behind the eight ball here, missing the last couple practice, the last week or so of practice with this whole transfer portal deal. But just something to keep in your back pocket. Again, I don't know. I don't know if that's going to happen. Just something that's floating around out there. We'll see what, what ends up happening there. But all right, guys, that does it for us today here on the Glory UGA podcast. Obviously, I mean, there's so much that we didn't get a chance to touch on. Curtis had to run. He had some stuff he had to get to. This is not normally a recording day for us during the offseason. We had to move some things around with our schedule just a little bit to make this episode happen today. But with G-Day going down on Saturday, we wanted to go ahead and get this out to you guys as soon as possible. Normally, we record on Monday night and have the first episode of the week out to you guys late Monday night, early Tuesday But again, with G-Day going on Saturday, we tried to move some things around and record on Sunday. But Curtis did have to jet here. And obviously, we didn't get to cover everything. There's a bunch of other names. I actually had this whole list of things. I was just sitting there watching it live in person there in the stadium and come back last night and watching the, the replay at home. And I got a whole list of guys that we didn't really get to, like Dejan Edwards, I thought had a really good scrimmage. Again, didn't run the ball very much, but 
Dejan Edwards just kept doing what Dejan Edwards has done every time he's gotten in into football games and had opportunities. He made plays. He made plays. I thought Warren Brinson looked really good with the number two defensive line. I saw some explosiveness out of him. No Kamari Lasseter out there who reportedly, who I've been told, been working with the ones most of spring practice at cornerback, but he came down sick, I think is what Kirby said, the night before, so he did not go. And the William Poole was actually moved out working at cornerback as opposed to working inside in the slot with Javon Buller moved inside with the Lasseter illness. So there's a lot of things we have not got a chance to touch on. But that's where you guys are going to come in. I want you guys to send us every question you have, every anything that we did not get a chance to talk about today on the show that you want to hear us talk about as it regards G-Day. Send us your questions, guys. You can hit us up on Twitter at glory underscore UGA. You can email us at gloryugapodcast at gmail.com. And we're going to run a mailbag episode trying to catch all the things we did not get to today. We will run that episode later on this week. So send those questions in. Let us know who you want us to cover, who we didn't get to today. And we will make that happen later on this week. But thank you for listening, guys. It was a ton of fun to get back out there. The weather it, it was a little touch and go there early on in the day. I didn't know if I was even going to be able to get my run in. Uh, fortunately, I just pushed it back a little bit and was able to get in like a rain-free run before G-Day, which was really good. I love my game day runs. And then it held off the entire afternoon. So it worked out really well. It wasn't super hot because it was just overcast. So it actually ended up being a really nice day. And it's always great to get back into the friendly confines of Sanford Stadium and taking a game between the hedges. And it wasn't really a game. Obviously, it was a scrimmage. It was a practice. But regardless, nonetheless, it was a ton of fun. And oh my God, I just can't wait, man. I know. I don't even want to ca- I don't even want to mention how many months away it is before actual kickoff. But this is one of those markers. We're getting closer. We're getting closer. Before you guys know it, we'll have the win totals out there. We're going to have the first three game times out there. We're going to hit the summer months. And before we know it, SEC media days will be rolling around, and then we will be in the stretch run leading to the season. And uh, I can't wait, man. I can't wait. I, I know it, it's like not, not right around the corner, but we're getting closer. We're getting there. We're getting there. So we'll have you guys covered all the way until we actually get there, and then of course through the 2022 season. But thank you for listening. For Curtis, I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs. <laughs>